Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You are listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Today, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, okay? We're going to talk about AI, as some people know it, right? And if you think about artificial intelligence, it can dramatically improve the efficiencies of our workplaces and can augment the work humans can do, okay? You think about driving in a a vehicle where they talk about automating that, right? It's not replacing the humans. We want to work with the machines, okay? (laughs) Don't be scared. Do not... Get scared of the machines. We want to work with the machines. It's an amazing experience, right? But if you think about automated vehicles, imagine a person that falls asleep, okay, over time, right? Imagine a person that uh, that 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 is a drunk driver, right? Uh, being able to replace some of those things that is amazing, okay. Being able to replace a human being that is sitting there. Uh, continuously, oh, you know, matter of fact, if a person can work while the vehicle is driving, right, and being able to cut time and have that being more efficient, that would be amazing, okay? So when AI takes over that repetitive task, right, or dangerous task, as we talked about, it frees up the human workforce to do more, to do the work they are better equipped to do. Things like creativity, all right, things like empathy, <laughs> you know, so being able to do that, is amazing. Now I have brought on a special guest, okay? And I know I like to say special guests all the time, but this person right here, okay? Dr. Daimler is amazing, okay? This person has done so much for the AI community and I appreciate you. So say what's up, Dr. Daimler. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And so Dr. Daimler is an authority in the artificial intelligence industry. He's been in there for over 20 years. Okay, and he has done so much in the industry. Okay, he has done. He has been an author of a, of the forthcoming book, "The Future Is Formal: How the Best and Worst of AI Is Yet to Come." Okay, definitely look for that. Um, he has also done much in the AI community when it comes down to uh, Obama, and he he's been involved in the Presidential Innovation Fellow during the Obama administration, which is amazing. You know for all the different uh, communities as well. And so tell them a little bit about yourself, Dr. Donnelly. Right, well, uh, thank you again for having me. This is a, a, good, a good conversation to have. Uh, I, I think if anybody uh, knows my name, they'll often uh, recognize me from the time that I spent uh, as the AI authority during the last year of the Obama administration, uh, which was a privilege with with other some uh, terrific, terrific people. I uh, look forward to uh, uh, the possibility of doing that uh, sometime again in the future. Uh, I, uh, I've also been an AI researcher uh, at uh, Stanford, Carnegie Mellon, University of Washington, Seattle, uh, uh, and on the faculty. I was uh, also a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road at a time at a well-known uh, fund. Uh, and uh, entrepreneur uh, several times. So uh, in each one of those jobs, there are people that have, uh, have done those uh, more intensely and longer than I have, but I've been told that I have that that, that combination is uh, uh, rare if uh, not unique. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate you being on. I mean, it is an honor to bring you on to this, right, to this podcast. I'm sure the audience is definitely going to love everything you have to say. I want to start off with talking about Connexus AI, okay? Being the CEO and founder of a company that is innovative and, and, and changing the world in many ways, you know, what are your thoughts? What is, what, what is Connexus AI bringing to the community, okay? I, I did uh, do a little bit of research and was able to understand that Connexus is, is doing uh, data integration, that is machine verifiable, right? Capturing data lineage, right? And I think data lineage, I think data cataloging, right, as well. Um, and building those relationships through transformation and and scales, complexity, and, and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about Connexus AI and, and what it's doing for the AI community? Sure. Uh, it, it may be helpful to 
uh, to look not just at the, the 20 plus years I've been in and around AI, but specifically the, the time I was working uh, in the federal government. You know, the, the privileged position uh, one has in seeing the, uh, the, 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 the panoply of difficulties from the perspective of the White House in implementing technologies mm -hmm. in general and AI in particular uh, gave me a view about where the future would uh, uh, companies and large organizations would experience uh, barriers in fulfilling on the promise of AI. That what is what brought me to uh, Conexus. Uh, there was a discovery in math out of MIT in 2011. Uh, it was a discovery in this domain of math called categorical algebra or, or category theory. Uh, this, this domain, categorical algebra, uh, was a sort of meta-math, or is a sort of meta-math. It's like a math of maths. Uh, so we, we could uh, perhaps look fondly on the abstract math we all did in school, but I, I think this, this, this uh, math, categorical algebra, is actually a little easier even than calculus. It provides a certain power in the digital age. It's uh, really a more appropriate math uh, than, than calculus for, uh, for databases, which is what Conexus.com uh, addresses. Uh, the, the, the math uh, that of, of relational databases is based on relational algebra, uh, which is uh, just not appropriate for the scale uh, that we are uh, experiencing today. So a lot of people know that uh, data is the new oil and all that. You know, they, right. they, I feel like people have gotten the memo about the new oil. There's a lot of data being collected. And, you know, whatever the metric is, you know, doubling every every two years or some such thing. Yeah. Two years from now, uh, uh, what we know now is only 10% of the data that will, be, uh, uh, that will be represented at that time. Everybody knows that. What, mm -hmm. what is less known is that the number of data sources is mm -hmm. also growing exponentially or, or more, more uh, specifically quadratically. Uh, so if you have a quadratic explosion in data and a quadratic explosion in data sources, then the data relationships are just unfathomably large. Mm. You really just can't comprehend the, uh, uh, the, the work that we have to do in understanding the, the complex systems evolving out of having this combinatorial explosion of two quadratic increases. Mm -hmm. So that's an abstraction. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. I, I can give you a story about how this actually uh, expresses itself in our, in our world. So, so yeah. a particular client of Conexus uh, was the ride-sharing client Uber, the uh, ride-sharing company Uber. You know, big, big firm, big firm, uh, rich firm, has you know a, a, a balance sheet that, for all intents and purposes, can fund an ideal IT infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, and it has a very smart people, but you know, by reputation, the technical people at Uber uh, have been and are uh, some super smooth, smart uh, people. But that did not allow Uber to grow up with an ideal IT infrastructure, uh, okay. uh, far from it. And that's because like any organization, but this is a relatively new one, you know, not like the US federal government, uh, like any organization, they're concentrated on the business at hand. You know, they're yeah. growing the business, they're growing the organization, they have a primary mission. That primary mission is not an ideal inf IT infrastructure, right? So, yeah. and, and so for Uber, what that, uh, meant is growing up city by city or jurisdiction by jurisdiction. In this case, 300,000 different jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So if you have 300,000 different jurisdictions. Some of those have a different privacy sensitivity than others. So Uber needs to respect the privacy lattice in their domain that has driver's licenses have a different uh, uh, sensitivity than license plates, depending right. on the jurisdiction, or they might have different business, ordinary daily business questions. How mm -hmm. will driver supply match this coming weekend, given the weather or the sporting event, or right. or rider demand? 
ordinary business question. They need to ask those questions, not just for uh, Washington, D.C. or Richmond, Virginia, but like the whole eastern seaboard or the whole U.S. or the whole world. And that they found to be very difficult. They could do city by city, but then they would have to do a statistical comparison uh, that introduced some degree of friction in both accuracy and time. Uber looked about how to solve this problem of bringing together these 300,000 databases, which is a massively, you know, that's a very large da uh, 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 data infrastructure, uh, proxy for data model complexity. And they found, Uber found, that the solution was not in computer science. So the solution was not in the existing uh, data engineering tools uh, of Informatica or Ab Initio or any number of the consultancies, Tata, Wipro, Tipco, Infosys, uh, Accenture, that make tens of billions a year in this manual kind of vocational level IT work every year. It's not, it's not pleasant work, I will tell you. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that data engineering work uh, needed to be solved at the level of math. Uh, so Uber looked more deeply, looked deeper below relational algebra, and they found categorical algebra uh, mm. as the solution to their problem. They then looked, well, how uh, can we find the, uh, the leader in the software expression of categorical algebra? Because it's expressed in other places. You know, relation, mm. categorical algebra is what powers smart contracts on the blockchain. Uh, category is what powers quantum compilers. You know, if, if it was not for categorical algebra, we as humans would not be able to interpret quantum computers. Uh, uh, so that, that that already exists in the world. It has to exist for these other technologies to continue to evolve. But for databases, Uber found us, uh, Connexus. Uh, we happen to be 40 miles north of them, which is fortunate, but they... Yeah. Stanford's right in their backyard, but uh, they found us about 40 miles north. Uh, Connexus then collaborated with Uber over a, a period of months to develop the software that solved their problems. To have them tell that they now saw, save over 10 million a year in the alacrity with which they're able to solve these ordinary business problems, including respecting the privacy lattice globally. So that's really the benefit. That's what categorical algebra is, and that's what categorical algebra uh, provides that's what Connexus does. Now that's amazing um, because I don't think that many companies understand how um, large data sets, right? You know, and we're talking about not just a single large data set. What you're talking about is providing aggregation of the data, right? You know, from multiple areas, right? You were talking about one city here, one city there, and the complexity that it has, right? Not only just searching but moving data from one place to a location, um, you know, that's non-trivial, right? You know, or the challenge of drawing, selecting information from a collection of, of different databases, you know, it's it's ridiculous, right? It's, it's actually mind blowing, you know, I mean, is that is that, that that's essentially what Connexus is bringing, right? An opportunity to be able to combine all those different uh, data sets and do the, the right searching, the moving, the querying, things like that upon. You know, the, the, the space of data uh, is uh, well-trodden. Uh, there are some excellent companies uh, that already address uh, what I consider to be now a, a, an old term, big data. Uh, mm -hmm. That's not the future. Uh, the future is in the data models. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how knowledge is encapsulated. You know, the data about me, you know, my height, my eye color, uh, that I fly out of uh, uh, San Francisco and I'll go to, to JFK. You know, th that's, that's data. The data model is what De Delta Airlines bases their business off of. How much do I pay? Uh, how frequently do I go? You know, that's, that is special knowledge that only Delta Airlines has. So the data is different than the data model. That's helpful to distinguish in a range of contexts, but it's the data model that 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 needs to be respected for any subject matter expert in the future. You know, Connexus worked with this hospital group in uh, in New York City, and I, I didn't even know this was this sort of thing was possible. Mm -hmm. In this one hospital group, they had different definitions 
of diabetes. No, no, you're thinking, oh, wait, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a healthcare professional, right? I'm not a clinician or a researcher in that domain. But if I Google I, diabetes, I would I think. It like, uh, makes me a little uncomfortable, right? Yeah, that's what we're saying. I should just be able to look up in Webster's or the Oxford English Dictionary and just come up with a definition, right? But but how it gets expressed in the real world, and, and this starts to become making more sense, is, is that every department, every subject matter expert, could have their own uses or their own needs. So mm -hmm. in one area, maybe there's a researcher who just cataloged based on an old study, the patient mm -hmm. data having data by diabetes or not. So diabetes, yes, no. You know, you look at a table, you look at the columns in the table, the, the characterizations of the, of the rows of data, and it's just diabetes, yes, no. Now then you might have other departments, no, it could be temporal, but it mm -hmm. also could be in context that might have a different definition. It might not be diabetes, yes, no. It might be diabetes, how did I treat it? Another one might be diabetes, how long ago? And, you know, it might be diabetes, uh, uh, well-meaning clinicians could say, well, Eric had diabetes, we, he's now in remission or whatever, we're treating it this way. Mm -hmm. You know, might have a big, a big set of information collected about diabetes. So it's not literally that the, the definition is different, it's that the context and the way of representing it is, fun, is foundationally different across one organization in this particular case. And why this is important is because the, the hospital group, not just for billing, but maybe even for patient care, let alone drug research, you know, mm -hmm. wants to bring this data together and do some good analysis. This is what data scientists want. They want the data at the rate of their own intuition. They, yes. don't, they don't want to go to their boss and have to, to have to argue for the budget and the time to do some ETL process. So right. how do I get that data together uh, and not just allow it to lead, to stay dark, uh, to use a Gartner term, dark data? Yeah. Uh, that is what categorical algebra provides, bringing that data together so that the clinicians and the researchers can all have their data used in the way that their own meanings are respected. That is only available uh, with categorical algebra. That's special to the data models. Uh, not just the existence of the data. Man, that's amazing. And that actually brings me to um, a thought. And when when dealing with, I work a lot in the government industry and you worked in the government sector as well. You know, and when you think about it, um, what you just spoke on, uh, it really talks about the differentiation between industries, I feel like, you know, on modeling. Uh, do you think that there is, so uh, I guess it's not a, a model that's created, it one size fits all, right? You know, do you think that it depends on the industry as well? Do you think that it actually has an impact on how you would uh, change your modeling? So the data model is driven by the subject matter expert. The integration of the data model is driven by the motivations of the industry. In the transportation sector, we all benefit from the regulation that as much as people may not like regulation. In one place, we, super, we benefit in a very big way, and it's an airline scheduling. There is a requirement by regulation that there is a standard representation of airline schedules through this or nonprofit organization, IATA, that has us uh, be able to compare Delta Airlines to United Airlines to Frontier or, uh, or what have you. If we didn't have that, uh, in airlines, it would be a mess. And that would be called the supply chain. You know, that's actually what happens right now. You know, I, I, have, a, I have a friend that was trying to get out the, some products he was manufacturing out yeah. of the U.S. And he's chasing uh, these ships going up to the eastern seaboard with boxcars waiting in port for, uh, in his, how are we saying it right now, up to 60 days. And he mm -hmm. literally has a staff of three physically calling on the phone each port, trying to get the boxcars unloaded bef at, before the ship leaves uh, uh -huh. and then has to move the boxcars up to the next port. Like, hey, sorry, we missed you in Savannah. We'll now see you in Charlotte, says the ship. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a pro this is one of the big reasons that the supply chain right now is not so quickly recovering. I mean, it may have gotten a mess regardless, but why it's not so quickly recovering is because you don't have this required uh, uh, imposition of standards for communication. So you have this manual friction uh, mm -hmm. involved. So you have you have to have subject matter experts 
that will represent the data model. And then you have to have an industry-wide representation or motivation, excuse me, the, to integrate those data models or cooperate into the communication uh, of those data models. And then, of course, yes, you do have uh, different data models based on the, the, the particular needs uh, of an industry. You know, Conexus uh, works with both uh, those companies that explore uh, for energy uh, mm-hmm. whether it's renewables or, or whether it's uh, uh, you know, classic energy sources and in energy distribution, utilities and such uh, that are looking about how to uh, make better use of the resources they have available. So, so what, what would you say are some of the limitations that you see from a government perspective? You know, I think about, we talked about this a little earlier, right? Like uh, uh, data tagging, right? You know, it's not even about the 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 data that is real time i feel like that's a little easier but querying and finding all the ridiculous amount of data uh that's out there right there's definitely no uh no problem with data creation in the government absolutely right you know i mean it's it's everywhere and anywhere there's data that can be collected but i think of tagging i mean what what do you think as far as some limitations that you see from the government perspective involving ai yeah i mean this this technology of connexus got birthed in uh u.s government funding from two areas one was defense the other was the department of commerce specifically dealing with logistics where uh data model transformation had to maintain its integrity you know you cannot afford in high consequence contexts to have four become approximately four, right? right, you, right. You have to have four before uh-huh. every single time, regardless of the cloud provider, regardless of the computer language, you can't get that misinterpreted. No, it's not so much about the data, it's about the data model. You know, the, the, the integrity of the data is being addressed and it's being addressed in other ways. But the integrity of the data model, I'm going to call that the semantics, to use kind of the, the nomenclature of uh, appropriate to uh, this, this space. The, the semantics of the data have to be uh, maintained. And the guarantee of the, of the maintaining of the semantics is what is uniquely provided by uh, categorical algebra. I mean, that's, that's really the point. Uh, uh, so if we think about in government, we think about sometimes the formulation of regulation. You mm-hmm. have to prove that you are uh, doing a pseudo anonymization of, of customer data, for example, with the latest uh, addition to GDPR. You can't approximate. You can't think you did. You know, you have to prove that you did. Right? That's the data. That's a, Those are data models. Uh, that's really where. The, the, the hard part is in the future. For professionals, the, the, the tough part, the part to be mindful of in the future and for all of our careers is to make the implicit explicit. That's what we're going to be doing next. So for the next five to 10 years, everybody is going to start putting in uh, explicit language what they're already doing implicitly. And this is in the government sector, whether or not you're a government worker, whether you're a policymaker working on the regs, or whether you're affiliated or somehow working with the government as a contractor or have some other affiliation. You're making the implicit explicit. You will have to do that. Uh, you, the, the, the people that will get replaced will be those people that really refuse. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and you, know, you can resist it all you want, but there will be very, very few jobs that uh, will maintain uh, their relevancy uh, if you can't augment your reasoning uh, with these uh, automations. The, 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 a couple of the, the anecdotes are uh, about empathy. That's completely true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you definitely want to be working on empathy because that's going to be the last, if we ever able to re- re- replicate it. You know, a- empathy is really uniquely human. It's, that's probably one of the toughest, toughest challenges. Would you say that? Well, I don't think people need to really work on that for a while. There's a lot of other low-hanging fruit uh, before we start working on automating that. The, yeah. the other part is there are some jobs where uh, they will take some machine learning uh, to uh, to automate. So the, the fun story that I had heard recently was in this manufacturing context, 
this uh, worker that had no formal training. So no graduate school, no undergraduate, not even a high school degree had spent so long in this one uh, manufacturing, uh, this, uh, this factory that by hearing the machines mm -hmm. to have uh, my friend tell it nine out of 10 times when he uh, would ask for some preventative maintenance on something, he'd be right. He went into retirement and uh, suddenly the maintenance budget exploded until my mm -hmm. friend says, hey, that's because Frank retired. Yeah. And they bring, they bring the guy back and for somehow like 400 bucks an hour, he walks the, walks the floor once a week, just listening, just listening to the oh machine. My goodness. <laughs> and, and he's happy to do it. And the factory is happy to do it. And he just listens to see whether or not to do it right. You know, so how you solve that problem is you bring a microphone around uh, to train the machines on what he hears. But until that happens, you know, Frank, Frank's enjoying his retirement uh, yeah. with an in increased hourly rate. And those are the sort of things that uh, cannot be easily uh, automated. So if you can't make the implicit explicit, uh, you know, that's a weakness. Uh, uh, but everything else we're going to be doing for the next decade is, is we're going to be transferring implicit knowledge into explicit rules. Man, that, that's amazing because, and I, I love that story that you gave, right? That, that example. And there's so many other examples out there that can explain how um, we're trying to tackle this human problem, but there's certain things that we really we have to spend a lot more time on, right? Massaging and things like that, right? You know, to be able to tackle it. One day we'll get there, right? But it's difficult. You know, I think it takes time, you know, and patience, right? You know, we're trying to get there so fast, right? And to the novice folks out there and the, the audience that 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 really enjoy the the possibilities, right? You know, there's a lot of deeper technology aspect that goes into that 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 end goal that we're trying to get, right? You know, we hear a lot about the the possibility of being able to control whatever the human brain can do. That's great. It's amazing, but takes a lot of training, I guess, for lack of better words, right, to get to that point. Um, so what, from your aspect, right, as being a thought leader, innovator in the, in, the I, in the IT space, well, specifically AI space, are we getting too far ahead of ourselves, you know, when trying to solve this huge science problem with problems with AI and, and ML, right, ML, machine learning, for those who don't know. Uh, when, when we're we're looking at this entire life cycle, right? From ingest to output, right? And 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 there's so many things I feel like that we have not mastered yet, right? AI ethics, uh, uh, cleaning the day. Can we do that in parallel or or are we jumping too far ahead? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think we're actually getting distracted. Mm. It's not necessarily that we are getting too far ahead of ourselves. It's that we're just focusing on the wrong thing. I, mm -hmm. I think uh, deep learning, uh, uh, it, it deserves the, the reputation it has. It's, uh, it's super sexy. It's fascinating that those algorithms solved uh, the, the problem of beating a human at the, at the game go. That's, that's yeah. very cool. Uh, you know, and that's a subset of machine learning that when I was uh, growing up, uh, I had a, a fantastic run. Uh, and machine learning itself as being a subset of AI you know, leaves out a different part of AI, which is deterministic AI. You know, mm -hmm. I'm of the belief that the best implementations of AI are going to use a combination of deterministic AI and probabilistic AI, of which, uh, uh, which is represented by ML and its subset of deep learning. That combination of deterministic and probabilistic AI is, is the level at which we need to step back and take a look about where we want to solve these problems in, in at, at the right scale uh, initially. I think pe where people may have gotten too ahead of themselves is just being too fascinated by uh, deep learning and too fascinated or even misinterpreting what it meant to have big data. Uh, you know, big data came from deep learning because deep learning requires traditionally these very, 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 very big data sets. Uh, you know, so if you are a Google or if you are a Facebook, you know, or if you are an open AI where you, you know, you have something that's the scale of the Internet. <coughs> great. You know, you can go go for it. But for the rest of us mortals that do not, 
yeah. do not run Google. You know, they do not have this internet scale data. It's completely inappropriate. And mm -hmm. to use then the tools that those companies use to solve our more modest uh, uh, objectives um, is, is misguided. Uh, is, a, is a polite uh, way to say it. We need to focus a little smaller. You know, as much as I said at the beginning that we have, an, we have a quadratic explosion of data, a quadratic explosion of data sources, and these data re relationships are important, we need to be thinking uh, uh, a little smaller initially about exactly what problem it is that we want to be solving uh, and then scale up from there. The, the, the issue of bias and ethics is a really important one, but that's also a place where we can be a little more careful about our language. Separate mm. out the data, which can have biases, from the model, which can have its own biases. Data and data models. Take those apart. And, oh, and you're right. Model, <laughs> data model, you know, models always have biases. They are my nature bias by their creator. <laughs> I, have this, I was given by my by my in-laws this model of a, of a boat. Uh, uh, and this boat is a model. It's a scale model. So it doesn't represent everything one-to-one -one because why? It's a scale model. It's a nature model. It's biased. It's biased towards the creator. It has more detail in some places than others. What we want to do is we want to expose it so everybody understands where those biases lie. And then we can just relate to it. Like, okay, you know, it's biased in this way, biased in that way. And then we as a society, we can judge about where uh, we want to those ultimate decisions uh, to rest. Because, you know, that's just the nature of politics is we want to reallocate resources. In a scarce resource environment, we allocate resources. But there's another part of bias that is little appreciated, you know, which is the absence of data. So Conexus works with some of our clients on GDPR reporting and ESG reporting. And that reporting, so it's an environmental social benefit, right? That, that, uh, so we can do that reporting for some of our clients with data, these very large data sets, in the developed world very easily. There's a lot of data available and data models are pretty sophisticated. But in the developing world, it's less available. So that's a so it biases the reporting. We uh, to say, well, how are we doing in those countries? Or more to the point, how are Connexus's clients doing in those countries? Well, that's that's actually a little harder to represent. And we need to how do we extrapolate? How do we how do we represent that in a way that's that that's a fair representation uh, uh, to, to the people that read these sort of things? Um, that's a type of bias. So you have bias in the data bias in the model, and then bias in the presence or absence of the data and the data model itself. Now, that, that, that is amazing, you know, and that made me think about, you know, going through my process of, you know, different theories, right, meta theories and things like that within the PhD study, right, you're thinking about, uh, it, it made me think about selective exposure versus mere exposure theory, you know, information gap theory, things like that. And how bias can be intentional versus unintentional or, or vice versa, right? You know, and so we tend to think of biases, especially in the I'm I'm assuming in the AI community when you're creating these models, right? You're thinking, man, this is intentional. It could just be lack of information, right? You know, somebody that just says, Hey, look, I don't I know what I know, and so this is the model I'm creating. And so it may seem biased, but it's not intentional, right? So I guess. I'm just saying get off of certain people's back, right, <laughs> who, who think that way, you know, but that, that is an amazing point that you brought up that I really never thought about, right? And, and I think about AI security, I think about, you know, human rights, you know, biases, things like that, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, has caused this adoption of AI technology to really accelerate, you know, but uh, I remember hearing a recent report that showed industry leaders, especially in the government, uh, decision makers are saying that, you know, they may, that we are moving too fast, right? I don't know if that's a, that is a, because the government is always behind or not, you know, do you, do you hear the same thing, you know, as far as the government saying we're moving too fast in AI or is that just because they're behind? I don't know. Uh, I, I am careful to uh, be too broad. Rush because uh, about all government agencies and all government people, I I 
uh, had a really good experience with the uh, smart, dedicated uh, 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 professionals with whom I, I worked uh, during during the Obama administration and, and the Obama White House. Uh, you know, the, right. the, the role that I have uh, has actually been elevated uh, where there's now an office, AI office inside of colloquially known as the Science Advisory Group. Uh, and that group itself is now a cabinet level position uh, reporting directly to the president, uh, mm. where it had previously been reporting to the chief of staff. Uh, that um, a group of people is is really serving uh, the well the, the American people uh, well. I know many of the people there uh, oh, today. Leading it, the, the I know the leader of it and uh, and some of the people working in it. They're they're really uh, fantastic people. Uh, the uh, but I can call out the the city council of New York uh, as being over their skis. Uh, you know, they, or at least the, you know. So last year uh, they introduced this. Uh, uh, I don't know what you call it. The city of New York a, a bill. Uh, to, the, to be signed by the mayor at that time, de Blasio, uh, uh, requiring companies to disclose whether or not they had an automated system for reviewing resumes. I mean, that's just that's just uh, uh, stupid. Um, yeah. uh, uh, they 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 need not be doing th thinking that they can value add value uh, there. Uh, and the reason it's it's dumb it isn't necessarily uh, because we might not agree that we would like to have disclosure around automated systems, uh, but it's, it's, it's careless uh, to, to be instituting these requirements uh, without some deep thought being put into how that disclosure is even going to be interpreted. Uh, mm. You know, we often are, are exposed to uh, disclosures that may really not help our our day-to-day -day experiences we have end user license agreements on every digital artifact we use have you have you ever read one top to bottom no. <laughs> you know we have different uh, you know cookie warnings right now on all of our browser and uh, you know those have different yeah. levels of uh, uh, of obnoxiousness i'll call it uh, yeah yeah how will it be expressed for people if they just if they just get told that they have an automated system uh, and what does that mean uh, and is it good or bad? I don't know yeah. if it's any worse to have an automated system reviewing my resume than some uh, essentially call center worker. I mean, it could just be a, right. just a big group of people that that are going through a lot of resumes. Like, right. well, how's that different? There's somebody, there's somebody behind that machine, right? That's eventually that that's some somebody that's saying, okay, you know, that, that's helping train the model, if you will, right? You know, well, that's true. Yeah, that's it. It's the person doing the model. It's the person doing the data. You know, I, I, I think better is let's just require in some context that these data models get exposed and audited. That's that's what I would do. Uh, I, would uh, I mean, there's other suggestions I've given to the government, but the public one, one of the public ones uh, that I, I, I exposed in an open letter uh, is uh, is having these data models uh, be open to. Uh, review uh, uh, by, by, by people like me or, you know, people that are, uh, uh, you, know, not, you know, knowledgeable in the art uh, and can represent what this data model uh, is actually doing. And is it doing, uh, you know, what it said? Are we fairly uh, reviewing people's backgrounds uh, or not, uh, uh, mm -hmm. for example? That, that's, that's a more intelligent way to go about it. But uh, so in general, I, I, I think the people in, in government, I've had good experience with being a well-meaning and hardworking, serving uh, the interests of uh, the American people. But uh, in that one particular case by the, by the city council in New York, uh, <laughs> I could have done better. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And I'm sure there's other cases, you know, where uh, uh, trying to implement AI too fast because you're, I mean, you're coming up with, some random way to 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 implement it and say, hey, look, you know, I checked the box. I'm using AI here. That's that's amazing. You know, you grab some developers, you grab some data scientists, and you just go to work. And you're 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 kind of solving problems that really there's probably bigger, better problems to be solved out there in New York, right? You know, specifically or just in in certain industries as well. You know, but you know, we talked about the government. I want to take a little bit of a step back or maybe it's forward, right? Thinking about the future. There's a lot of universities that are playing a big part in uh, developing solutions, right? For the military, for the government in general, uh, uh, they're, they're developing so many solutions. They're helping out 
in, in regards to machine learning AI, how can universities begin to assist more in tackling some of the AI problems that, that are out there that you see? You know, I think the future is going to be owned by those that can uh, encapsulate rules in uh, modules uh, of knowledge uh, uh, and then reconfigure uh, those modules uh, in different contexts. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, you know, we might call it compositionality uh, or, or composability. Uh, th these um, uh, uh, compositions would differ from modularity, uh, you know, in the same way that maybe a train uh, is different than the train system. Uh, you know, for a train, you can you can swap in and out box cars, uh, and this is the way we might have thought about it in the past. But the the composability would be like a train system, where at any one point we can expand infinitely. You know, this is, I think, what needs to be taught in universities. We see these expressions right now with such things as even Minecraft, mm -hmm. but also uh, also smart contracts, as we talked about, where where you can build upon things that have just recently been built. Yeah, you know, the expressions right now with NFTs, and maybe these modules can even be themselves NFTs. Uh, <laughs> We see expressions in direct-to-consumer products. Why is there this explosion of direct-to-consumer products? And it's because these modules are now represented as individual businesses. You know, I can outsource my fulfillment, my manufacturing, but also my customer analytics and my sales. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and you know, Shopify takes care of a big part of, of my e-commerce uh, tech stack. You know, that, that has allowed for this, you know, Cambrian explosion of businesses. The creating of these modules uh, starts with people understanding what the business rules are, the, and then we encapsulate them in the syntax of computers, uh, uh, and then redeploy them in these patterns, auto poetic patterns, kind of auto uh, self recreating and perpetuating patterns. Uh, it will be a skill for the future that I think universities will be well served uh, to teach their students. Are we are we teaching that in universities now? I mean, you being involved with uh, with teaching in different universities that have definitely contributed to the AI community. Do you see that as something that should be a curriculum in every university, or uh, are are we getting there? Yeah, I mean, the the, the math of compositionality compositionality uh, is uh, category theory uh, or categorical algebra. Uh, uh, you, you know, you might think the the more math, the better. Uh, but if I were to choose uh, for for my kids or or or, uh, or my uh, early earlier stage career, uh, I might want to replace uh, geometry, trigonometry, even mm -hmm. calculus uh, with a math that's more appropriate to the 21st century, uh, <laughs> probability uh, and and categorical algebra. Man, that's amazing. You know, it's always amazing to talk to a thought leader such as yourself. I appreciate that. Um, so I, I want to, you know, start to, to wind down a little bit and I want to get into, you know, your thought process. Right. You know, when we think about uh, getting your Ph.D., you know, we, we have these thoughts right about the future a lot. Right. We're we're able to um, articulate, you know, how we believe the future would um, um um, behold to our craft, right? Or uh, so. So when I think about AI, right, I think about two specific industries that I really would dive into if, I, if it was AI right now. And I mean, maybe I'm just piggybacking off what I see a lot, right? I do a lot of reading. I think finance and I think healthcare. You know, if from your perspective, what do you see as two industries that if if it could only be two industries that you would dive into that you would focus in on when it regards to AI. So this is a, actually a, a more nuanced uh, a question uh, today than it might have been uh, not so long ago, where there are some obvious uh, it, uh, places to attack the, the healthcare life sciences system, both in research, drug discovery, Mm -hmm. And in delivery, you know, Conexus works with this one company in healthcare 
uh, in, in billing that that processes 1.4 trillion transactions per year. So clearly a lot of data, right? Right. At that sort of data, it represents data velocity. It represents a, a sort of phase change, you know, solid to, to liquid to gas that you, you have to relate to that volume differently uh, than you did uh, not so long ago. So there's some obvious places to apply uh, some of the modern techniques in, in that case in, uh, uh, in, in kind of the back office, but also in the clinical practice, also in, in research. And we touched a little bit on, on those. And in finance, the, the same thing. I think the, 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 the we'll call it the disintermediation, but it's probably a little more than that. Uh, of many of the big players in the financial system, uh, uh, you know, continues apace. Uh, uh, and, and, I, and I think that that has some long legs uh, uh, to it. And that's, con- that's consistent with this uh, modularization uh, or encapsulation of business rules that can be then redeployed uh, in different contexts. I'm very optimistic uh, for the uh, many, many different expressions we may see in financial services uh, over, the, over the next decade. But where uh, we find, where Conexus is finding uh, a lot of interest is in, believe it or not, some of these traditional industries, such as manufacturing, such as energy discovery and then energy distribution. And the reason is because these are high consequence contexts like aerospace. You can't afford to really have any errors, right? Right. These have to be bottom up. uh, There were the future really uh, uh, holds a, a way in which these systems will be bottom up provably safe. Uh, you know, right now we we test and retest and test and retest and 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 in some sense hope for the best. But the future uh, is it, we see coming at us right now where we are applying these concepts of categorical algebra to traditional manufacturing settings and traditional energy companies in these really powerful ways. Uh, mm-hmm. the leaders in this space uh, are, are going to be even more dominant because they are going to be creating these uh, uh, these infinitely safer uh, and more scalable uh, uh, digital representations uh, of their businesses. And they themselves are going to have these business rules available uh, to be resold to uh, other players uh, in their industry. So manufacturing, uh, indus- uh, energy, uh, and, and, and the manufacturers in transportation and aerospace uh, are, the, are the three industries that Conexus uh, uh, sees a very bright future. Uh, that, that's amazing. And, and I appreciate you giving me your, your thoughts on that because, you know, I, I did read something the other day about how important transportation is going to uh, play or how important AI is going to play uh, in, in transportation, right? You know, if you think self-driving cars and, and products of a distant, uh, uh, are products of a distant future, right? You know, smart cars, have already made their way to the market, right? You know, they're already here. And uh, I mean, you know, we think about the cool aspects, but I appreciate you giving giving us some of the, the things that are really gonna matter, right? We don't think about energy as much when it comes down to AI, like the normal person, we think smart cars, we think everything that they're talking about, all the cool, you know, stuff that we see in the world, right? That's very good at marketing. Advertising might be a good place too as well, but, but, uh, but, but we don't think about energy. Right. You know, so I appreciate you giving your your thoughts on that. And, you know, I always like to close out with what I call a dope nugget or gem. Right. At the end of the day. And and it's really summarization of what what I thought. Right. And I want to hear your thoughts on on things as well. You know, uh, but, you know, when I think about A.I., right, it's going to change the world. OK, it's a, it was at one point, you know, I, I hear different point, points of views depending on the thought leadership, you know, that we're moving too fast and things like that. But. When we get to the point where we're really focusing in on the future and utilizing AI the right way, you know, we're it's going to change the world, right? Impacting the future in virtually every industry that you can name it. You know, that's what I've gathered from from your thoughts today, you know, and the skills that we should learn probably. And I'm in my mind, you know, just thinking about programming languages. Right. Um, uh, and that that's the skill that everybody has talked about. You should learn, but they don't really talk about how important statistics or math is right you know within it and i think that that's something that people should understand a lot more you know 
what are your thoughts, you know, based off of today's conversation or anything you want to share with the audience? Yeah, there are 18 million computer programmers in the world. Uh, right. <laughs> even though I have a PhD in computer science, I don't think we need 18 million and one computer programmers. In the world. <laughs> right. uh, I, I think the, the sensibility uh, uh, behind computer science is what people are going to be well served to learn instead of the syntax uh, of a particular programming language. Uh, uh, I, I think the the, uh, the the concepts in statistics, probability and compositionality through the math of category theory, categorical algebra, uh, is where people are going to be uh, well served to spend their time. Uh, I think that people may be happy to know uh, that calculus is going to become a little bit more like Latin. Uh, you know, interesting, intellectual, maybe uh, you know, appropriate for a Hollywood screenplay, but uh, <laughs> useful. Uh, in our day-to-day -day existence out in a, in a diminishing uh, set of applications. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you for your thoughts on that. Um, you know, the audience loves this section, right? We're about to get into a little bit of fun. Okay, doctor, we're about to get in a little bit of fun. Um, I like to do a, a segment at the end called Overrated, Underrated. And this is where I give a series of topics, right? I like the audience to know that we're just, we are geeks, right? If you will, for lack of better words, we're geeks. We like to dive into the technology. We always talk the technology terms. We, we, we do a lot. We have a lot of fun with that. You know, we can code. We can do all these different things. We're thought leaders. But we do care about some of the stuff that, you know, others may deem normal, right? You know, and so I want to hear your thoughts on some of these things. And what I'll do is I'll give you about six to seven to eight topics and you get to say whether you think it's overrated, underrated, or right where it needs to be. All right. Ready? All right. The printer. Uh, underrated. I, 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 if I, I can't, I, my wife has, uh, requires us to have a printer at our house. Otherwise I would just use one at the office, but I can't print a UPS label without one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I like that, you know, it's been times where I've needed to print the UPS label, right? It's been times where they, if I'm going through Amazon, it's great because you can just go in and they scan the code and stuff. But, you know, it's, I'm sort of torn myself, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the printer, but at the same time, and it's, it's funny because as much of an engineer or, 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 or a technologist, I would like to call myself, sometimes I feel like, why can't I figure out this printer, right? You know, why is this printer beating me up, right? <laughs> Ask me for another use case of the printer and I can't find one. But the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the radio. Uh, 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 in what context? So I would say, uh, you know, just listen to the radio in the car versus, uh, uh, you know, nowadays we have, uh, you, you have your regular radio stations, right? You know, but nowadays you can listen to, you know, your 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 Amazon Music or something like that. You can actually choose exactly what you want to listen to, right? You know, or even podcasts or whatever, right? You know. I find that I do still. Uh, I, it's funny. Um, I still do listen to the occasional uh, public radio station. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, independent of the city I live in. It's sometimes if I have a rental car, that's actually the context under which I, I find I'm often doing this, mm -hmm. uh, is if I'm in a rental car, I will often just throw on a public radio station. And, uh, oh, okay. so you wouldn't connect your phone and go through all the... I will, but if I can't, then okay. uh, then then the radio goes on. Uh, so uh, mildly underrated, I suppose. Not, well, not, it not be right where dead. it needs to be, right? You know, Not, not quite dead. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right, uh, ice cream. Oh, uh, uh, way overrated. Uh, you know, I, I was recently asking about uh, reading, excuse me, just about ice cream and the degree to which we can uh, the, uh, tolerate ice cream is because it's frozen. If you yeah. melt it, it, it's way too sweet. It just really grosses me out uh, when, I, when I've thought about it. Uh, oh, you know what? I didn't think about that. We're consuming that much sugar. Uh, yeah. it's that it's kind of gross. Uh, I'm, I'm really turned <laughs> off of ice cream. I've, I've liked it and I, I don't want to be judgmental about it because I, I'm, I'm as my physiology is susceptible as any others, mm -hmm. as anybody else's. Uh, but, but no. All right. All right. Libraries. Uh, I, I have a love affair with libraries. So uh, the Rose Room in Manhattan, uh, in the New York, New York Public Library's uh, Fifth Avenue branch, it is a special place. Uh, 
San Francisco Public Library, gorgeous. Copenhagen's, if anybody mm -hmm. else goes or ever goes over there, Copenhagen's Library, gorgeous. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, my, my wife just actually bought a book, uh, Libraries of the World. I, I, I think libraries are special, special places. They're changing their, uh, their, their use case, of course, uh, mm -hmm. but libraries really are, are special places. I, I think we would be well served to uh, encourage even broader use as a way of exchanging uh, knowledge. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I, I, I um, yeah, I've met some people, people, guests that I've had on before. They said, you know, libraries they thought were a little overrated nowadays. You know, because you can you can kind of have that piece anywhere else, and and you get a chance to you have audible books. You got you have uh, you know, you can buy a physical book online, things like that. You know, but I, I do think there's a, a there's something to be said about you know going to this this location where you could, you know, find that book and you could sit down and really read it and kind of get away from everything, right? Your mind is not really thinking about anything else but that book. I, I think we also want to respect that <laughs> not everybody has access uh, to Audible and and an infinite supply of Kindle books. You know, I, yeah. I, I, might, have, I might have 600 or so Kindle books uh, in on my, uh, you know, as a subscription, as much as I don't like Amazon, <laughs> uh, and I have at least that many print books uh, uh, you know, purchased purchased from as many independent bookstores as I can. Uh, but uh, not everybody has that privilege. So, you know, libraries still uh, serve a big part uh, of, of society within the U.S. And, and around the world. All right. OK, two more cats. Uh, depends on the breed. Uh, I've come to find out. Uh, there's a breed called Devon Rex that, uh, uh, that is, uh, uh, for me, who's generally allergic to cats, um, mm -hmm. uh, likes, and they, these are, these are cat dogs in that they are friendly cats. They come when you call them and they are, they, they, they almost behave like dogs and that they are, they like, they like their owners instead of being disinterested, which is the, uh, stereotypical cat. Oh man. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that's something that I, that, that I just learned. All right. So last one, strawberries. <laughs> uh, underrated love them in fact there's a there's a couple of bowls in them right now in our office kitchen uh, 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 uh beautiful beautiful uh berries yeah love them <laughs> well thank you i appreciate you being on the podcast audience you are listening to data's my science podcast the show that makes data your passion i'm your host dapper data doctor where can they reach you at if there's anything and is, is there anything that you're promoting now uh, Eric Daimler on, on LinkedIn or, or any of the other uh, social media channels, EAD on Twitter. Uh, I, I have a book coming out uh, next year, so says my publisher. Uh, uh, but my wife has a book coming out next month. You can pre-order on Amazon on corporate culture called Reculturing. Uh, so <laughs> I'll promote my wife's book. <laughs> Man, you, get, you get points for that, man. You get points yeah. for that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and definitely, I know you mentioned Connexus. You know, definitely check out Connexus.com. Connexus.com. Uh, big businesses, large businesses. It doesn't matter the, the variant of a, what, what size businesses that you're looking for when it comes down to it. The, the proxy is uh, uh, for data model complexity is generally number of databases. Uh, mm. If it's more than five, that is a, a, an indication uh, of data infrastructure complexity, but this is often a candidate for uh, our platform. And this is this is kind of uh, off topic. Do you do you tie into Oracle at all ever? You know. Of course. Okay. 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 Yeah. I just uh, I just, I just agnostic, left agnostic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just left left Oracle and. Uh, I mean, all they do, right? I mean, they're known for databases, right? You know, and, and so I've heard a lot of customers, right? You know, with it. So, they, they, um, so, so, or the fun fact that Oracle uh, got founded in 1975, three years after uh, relational algebra in 1972 uh, really came into its own. Uh, data, Oracle would not have existed if not for relational algebra. That's where the term comes from. And uh, uh, we are just now entering a new epoch of compositionality. Uh, 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 powered by categorical algebra. Um, so uh, thank you, Oracle. Nice to have been you. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's amazing. And, you know, it, it's, it's amazing that you're referencing a lot of the, uh, the the mathematical concepts, right, that are out there. And 
And I think that people need to hone in on that a lot more, you know. So I appreciate you, Doctor, you know, and, and audience, as you know, you can always reach me uh, at Mr. Dapper Date on any one of the social media um, platform and definitely check out my website, uh, MrDapperData.com, you know, and love you all. Peace. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to The Data is My Science Podcast, the show that makes data your passion with your host, Dapper Data. Dapper Data.